Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Hello and welcome back to another episode of the Hockey News on the A podcast. I'm Jacob Stahl from the Hockey News alongside Pat Williams from AHL.com, bringing you all the latest news of the AHL and right now, the midst of the Calder Cup playoffs. Pretty busy night last night for you, Pat. How many screens did you have going? Uh, there, well, I was at one game, and then during that time, I had two or three going, and then come home, and it's late, kind of the late round, seven games in total around the league. So, uh, you know, they really tend to, you know, the league schedule typically is centered on a, you know, a few different nights, and certainly Wednesday's one of them. And uh, it was uh, going into the night, there were five teams facing elimination. Four of them survived, one did not. So it was, uh, it was a lot to, certainly a lot to keep track of, but also just a lot. Um, you know, in terms of uh, how eventful it was. Which game were you at? The, the Hershey one? Uh, Hershey Charlotte, yeah. So, um, you know, it was good to, you know, it's good to get a sense of things in person. You know, like the schedule's kind of been stop and start early on. So, um, yeah, get get back to the rink and then, uh, yeah, just try to, try to juggle as much as possible. I was going to ask you, why are they playing on a back-to-back? Is that not quite rare? Yeah, it is. Um, there's a, actually a, uh, a building conflict. Uh, there's okay, a concert yeah. of some sort. Because that's rare. Her, yeah, Hershey's building's uh, pretty busy, actually. So um, they tend to, especially this time of the year, you start getting the concerts, you start getting, you know, I know a lot of the universities have graduations, that sort of thing. So Right, I see. Um, they have to try to fit those dates in when they can. So last night we saw two two teams take a big victory as they – are sort of on the edge of, of facing elimination, Coachella Valley and Providence. Um, you know, each of them are one game away from potentially being knocked out, something neither of us really expected. Coachella, they're headed to game five versus Colorado. They finished the second in league standings. Providence, who's down two to one against Hartford, finished third. And these teams are both one game away from being knocked out. Let's start with Coachella Valley. Colorado took an early lead in the series, first two mm-hmm. games. And then Coachella has evened it up here. Are you surprised that we're going to a game five here from the onset of the series? It's been, yeah, it's been a strange series. I mean, Coachella came out in that game one, blitz some 6 2. And then, yeah, then Colorado comes back, takes back to back one goal wins. Uh, and that's the thing with the, the best of five, even with the best of three, like we saw last round with Tucson and Coachella. Like, it doesn't take much to get behind and to all of a sudden have your season on the line. And that's what happened to Coachella. Now I think to their credit, um, both in that, that, that playing round, uh, they came in facing elimination. They blew Tucson out. Then uh, last night against Colorado, same thing. Uh, they came in and they, they uh, gets a much tougher opponent. They, uh, they managed to pull out a win, but um, you know, in a league where you're dealing with call-ups, um, on top of everything else that you know that is typical for a hockey team, like injuries and that sort of thing, you're also you're also in these like these short mini series, right? Where there's mm-hmm. you know there's not a lot of margin for error. There's not a lot of time to even feel things out. Like, and I think the irony of this thing is that um, the uh, the NHL parent clubs were in, in, in their first round series, 
yeah uh, seattle kraken and and the avalanche um obviously the avalanche going down three players came back to the colorado eagles including captain brad hunt uh ben myers a real useful forward and then uh keith cade as another uh, kind of reinforcement in net uh, so and then alternatively coachella's lost ty Carche. Exactly. So you can see that it's a great example of those power swings, right? Like, you know, just, so, uh, you know, a game in another league that, you know, you have no control over ends up having dramatic effects, not only on your roster, but on, on your opponent's roster. And so that's what coaches are up against here. Do you think Coachella was caught off guard by how tight Colorado has kept this series? They shouldn't have been. Um, sure. They, they might have, yes. But like, um, okay, there's one thing you can know a team likes to play that way is one thing, but for them to actually do it against a high powered offense, granted they've lost some pieces. Um, I think it kind of stunned them a bit. In the I, I agree. I think especially when you come out and you, you, you really have a you know pretty easy time in game one and you think, okay, it's going to be an easy series, right? Like, you know, and I think they kind of, um, they'd come back from the break against Tucson they had that big win in that game three of that series. Then they come in a couple days later, they get another big win, and they're like, okay, you know, whatever whatever little hiccup we had early on, that's over with now. We're on our way. And then, boom, they had to come back the following night. Colorado just really, you know, it was a different team altogether. And this is a great Cronin team. We've talked about him in the past, the head coach, the Colorado Eagles, like, his teams, you know, and they'll, they'll have their clunkers here and there, but for the most part, like they know how to lock it down. And he, he's very, he's one of the best coaches, I think, in the league in terms of adjusting quickly, um, of being able to look at what went wrong last night and be able to quickly implement changes uh, because it, it was a different team. You know, I mean, you would never think that 24 hours apart, uh, these were the same teams. But uh, yeah, it's. Uh, it, it, it's uh it's a challenge because like you know you, you have a Coachella team that they went down to the second to last night of the season yep. uh, for the for the uh first place overall in the league and then now twice they and and again on Friday they'll have to play for their season um totally so moving to Providence though so they're there it's they're down two to one at Hartford we'll get into Hartford and how well they're doing just a bit here with our prospect of the week but from Providence's angle this is interesting Two to one in the series. They won last night. So because if Hartford won, they would have been swept. Now Boston's out, so they could yeah. be getting some pieces back at a pretty crucial time here. And obviously Hartford, sorry, New York is out as well. So Hartford's getting some pieces back. But could you see the additions for Providence tipping the scale in their favor, or is it kind of even itself out because both teams are getting pieces back? Yeah, uh, if anything, it probably benefits Hartford a lot more. They got they got four top players back. Um, Providence got uh, Jacob Lanko back. Um, so, you know, a useful player, but certainly not maybe a uh, game changer. Um, Providence is an interesting situation and sort of, I think, a similar one to Utica last year. Uh, finished first overall in the regular season or in the in the conference for the regular season and then has, has to sit around for you yeah. know, almost two weeks. And then you have to jump into a playoff series against a team that's had a little bit of momentum, a little bit of confidence build up, and you have to play back-to-back nights. So the game one there, um, they lose 14, they had 14 shots all night, right? 
Um, and then, you know, kind of like they don't have any time because in the nature of this league, you get a lot of back-to-backs. Mm-hmm. Um, you got to go out the next night and, 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 you know, before you know it, like they're down, they're down to nothing that barely know what hit them. Right. So um, that's again, a lot like Colorado or like uh, Coachella. That's where the real danger is, you know, just because you, you don't get a lot of time to adjust. You don't get a lot of time to kind of like sit with a, a win or a loss. You just you jump right into it and then the games come quickly. So I think to their credit, they went into game three in Hartford. Um, they actually went up uh, three, nothing. Uh, it got dicey there uh, for them toward the end. They did manage to hold on. Uh, it was a six, three final, but really it was a four, three. There were a couple of empty netters. So, um, but um, yeah, they're, they're in a fight now. I think they know that um, if they didn't know it in those first two games, they know it last night um, with the team come back on them like that, like Hartford, Hartford doesn't go away. Uh, this is a, really a completely revamped Hartford Wolfpack team and Providence needs to catch up to that quickly, uh, that reality, because if they don't, again, best of five, if, if you don't adjust uh, very fast, uh, it can get away from you quickly. I mean, and it's, uh, it's, it's, it's a shame, right? Like for a team like that to, to play that well, they did all, you know, as well as they did all season. Yeah. Uh, you have a couple of bad games and boom, like you're, you're on the brink. And the engine for Hartford has been Dylan Grant, uh, a yeah. 20-year-old goaltender. He had an okay rookie year during this season, but he's hit another gear in the playoffs. Reigning CHL goalie of the year, was on the World Junior Team for Canada last year as well. He's got a 941 save percentage in five playoff games with Hartford. Nothing short of a, a miraculous effort that, you know, isn't out of the blue, but certainly wasn't expected given how the season went. What have you seen from the 20-year-old net minor so far? Yeah, he's an interesting case because you know obviously a lot of you come in with a lot of the, those accolades, right? Like, yeah. And then you run into the pro game, right? And it's a whole different, uh, whole different can of worms, right? And uh, that's what he ran into. And I think he, you know, I've spoken with him a couple times, um, fairly recently, and especially I chatted with him this week. And you know, it's a it's a huge adjustment, right? Like, um. The pro game is, you know, there's a lot more put upon you. There's a lot, you know, there's a lot less handholding than there is in junior. Yeah. And you have to make that adjustment quickly, right? And then so the interesting subtext there with, with Hartford is so right before the end of the regular season, four of their players were called up. Uh, Johnny Brzezinski, the captain, Jake LeCision, Libor Hayek, and Louis Domingue, the number one goalie there, who had, you know, it played uh, 45 games this year, third most in the AHL. Um, so Garand was able to sort of all year long kind of uh, be the understudy. And now Domingue goes up and it's all of a sudden everyone turns their head and looks at you. You're Dylan Garand. You're the, you know, the 20-year-old goalie trying to find your way here. And all of a sudden you, ha- you have to be the number one guy here. There was no kind of uh, fallback option. So um, I think to his credit, he took that pressure on his shoulders and he, and he went with it. And, you know, they, they, we talked about that series against Springfield. Um, you know, he allowed two goals in that series in, in two games. And then, you know, I think everyone's like a little bit, that's an eye opener. And you're thinking, okay, this is, uh, this is interesting. And then they, they go into Providence and they pull up back-to-back wins there. Now he got that shutout. It was only 14 shots. Nevertheless, there were some good chances. Um, so I think he started to find his groove a little bit. I'll be interested to see where they go with this now. Um, he did allow four goals in game three. Now I, 
wouldn't necessarily fault him on at least a couple of them. So um, do they maybe at some point go to Louis Deming, who's has been your number one for, for most of the season. Uh, but uh, either way, it's, it's not a bad problem to have if you're the Hartford Wolfpack, Chris Knobloch, the head coach here. So, uh, but this is a goalie that's, he's like we, you said, he's played high, high pressure. Really, outside of the NHL, there's no higher pressure, right, than World Junior Championship, right? Yeah. Especially playing for Canada, especially as a goaltender on Canadian ice. Well, you so. mentioned pressure. It's funny. I, I spoke to Scott and Nickel, GM of the, of the uh, Milwaukee Admirals, mm-hmm. on Saturday for a different story that you'll see on the hockeynews.com soon. But he made a really cool point. He's talking about his prospects, but he said that the players today – are more equipped for these high-pressure situations because whether it's the junior level or the NCAA World Juniors, these are massive events, and players from a young age are used to sort of that fanfare, and it doesn't really hit you as much when you come to the next level. And, you know, I never really thought about it that way because, yeah, yeah, there's still an adjustment, but a lot of these events, notably the World Juniors, they've got that sort of – how do I say it? That sort of marquee advertising around it. Right, yeah. that big moment feeling. So it kind of makes sense that you know, a guy like him comes in, doesn't skip a beat, and takes seize of that moment in the playoffs here. Yeah, that is a good point. Like, and you think about it, like even like kids playing minor hockey, like their games. Well, yeah, are, are streamed on. You uh, probably gamble on them. Websites. You probably ga- you probably gamble. You know, on so them like you know, you know, like it isn't the anonymity that it used to be. Like you know, then you go to junior, all the games are. are broadcast in one way or another and you know it's it's same thing with the ahl so yeah i think that's an interesting point i haven't heard that point made but it, it certainly it squares with everything that we've seen um and it does make make a lot of sense calgary and abbotsford has been a lot closer than expected uh certainly for me uh personally two to one lead for calgary in the series they have a chance to to close out here in the next game do you think maybe calgary underestimated abbotsford or um, maybe maybe Abbotsford surprised themselves with the way that they're kind of staying hold in the series. Yeah, I don't, I don't think Calgary underestimated them. They're certainly not with Mitch Love, the head coach, or like that. That's something he's on guard for. Um, I think this is a case, at least somewhat, where a lot like Providence, you had a team that hadn't played in almost two weeks and then has to jump into a playoff series against an Abbotsford club that. Wow. Got a little bit of success under them and that that playing round. Um, Do you think teams are upset by that? This the break, the break that they have here, like a couple. Yeah, times you know, I think it it depends how how things unfold. You know what? If you come in, you you sweep the series. Uh, you're thinking, well, that was great that we had so much time right. to rest and had team you're right. and you're right. You know, teams have had. You know, I know Providence had a motivational speaker come in. Hershey did a golf tournament, so. Hey, if things go great, then you're you're looking for reasons why that was, you know, right. why that break was good for you. And then, you know, likewise, if if you struggle or if things start to get away from you, then you're like, well, it must have been that break. I, I, I don't know. I think it probably yeah, sort of probably you a factor, but you know, it's one of those things you can't really quantify. But fair it's point. More of a gut feeling. So yes, for Calgary though, like, do you think that maybe? Sorry, not for Calgary, for Abbotsford, they maybe had some sort of an advantage of the fact that they're coming into the series having been sort of fresh in a way. Like, they're already in the thick of playoff action. Yeah. Right. Yeah, I think for sure. Yeah. And then, you know, all of a sudden, then, you know, you're, you get into those, you know, a couple of one-goal games. Both of the wins for Calgary um, were in overtime uh, on home ice. 
then you go into Abbotsford and you know, that building was, uh, the building was rocking last night. And, mm-hmm. uh, uh, Abbotsford too is like, they're just constantly in your face. Like they play that, that real aggressive, abrasive, like, there's always a, a glove in your face after a whistle. There's always somebody pawing at you, you know, like that kind of style. And, you know, that, you know, you, meanwhile, you've kind of been, you know, doing nothing more than scrimmaging for two weeks mm-hmm. and, you know, in practice. And also now you're you got these, you know, like a Jet Wu type uh, defenseman who's just like constantly, he's, he's been all over Matthew Phillips. And, you know, like Matthew Phillips of game one went out with a, a spearing penalty. Um, you know, like that was like in the first 10 minutes and you just, and that's not Matthew Phillips style, but you know, it was just kind of indicative of, of that, you know, that frustration that builds up, just you're, you're playing a team. that's just like, it's like an octopus. Like they're just, somebody has always right. has an arm on you and you, you can't get away. And you know, like it, it gets into that, that type of hockey and it can, uh, it can definitely be frustrating. I, think. I find this time of the year too, like special teams is such a difference oh, yeah. in the sense of, Okay, most games of even strength are going to be pretty tight. You're going to have a similar, like a, a somewhat, you know, even shot count in terms of even strength minutes. Same with attempts and expected goals. If it's not, well, that's probably a lopsided series. But for Calgary, their power plays yet to kind of pop. They're at like 15% right now. I'm pretty sure it is. Yeah. And I almost wonder if, like, we see if, if that that could be the X factor for them going forward. Not even just this series, but presuming they do close it out and go to the next ones, that could be pretty big for them. Yeah, I, I would agree. Yeah, yeah. But also uh, they have so much personnel adding in too, right? So they've had to juggle that. What we've yeah. been working for them before and the five players that they had as, you know, PP1 at the end of the season is a lot different now because they have Walker Dewar, Pelche coming back, and yeah. now you have to kind of manage that and have these five played together that long, maybe, but who knows the success they had, all those five pieces. So there's a lot to juggle there, I would think. Yeah, and, and sometimes like you know, like Peltier, for example, like didn't get a ton of ice time up in the NHL. So like now he totally. has to reacquaint himself not only with with game action but playoff game action. So um, and Calgary has to to balance up. Do we put the best five guys out there, or the five guys like three the best, and then two people that we know could use this? So there's always that kind of push and pull oh, this yeah. level and this time of year. Let's go to our team of the week, and that is the Manitoba Moose. Up 2-1 on the Milwaukee Admirals. They won game two and three in overtime. I was there for, for uh, game two. It was pretty crazy to see. The crowd was very into it. And I have to say, it's interesting because Manitoba, like last year, doesn't have many marquee names. Yeah, they've mm-hmm. got Billy Heinle, Declan Chisholm, and some good prospects. Don't get me wrong. But not many sort of game breakers on the surface, but they grind you down. And I, it's not... You know, it's not sexy, it's not exciting, but they really limit a team like Milwaukee, who has really, you know, enticing and exciting personnel. And they get into these overtimes where, you know, anything can really happen. This is exactly what they want. But the real difference from last year, and there are a lot of similarities, is goaltending. Mm-hmm. You know, Gary Salomon had a really solid game, too. Same with game three. It just kind of seems like, you know, when you look at the way they're playing and everything. And then you reevaluate. It's like, well, you know what? Isn't Jansen Harkins kind of a game breaker? Isn't, isn't a Jeff Malott by now having scored like the six most goals since entering the league, kind of a good goal scorer. Like I kind of feel like myself included, I wrote them off, but they've Mark Morrison's done a great job with that group yeah. because they're very much in the fight right now. Yeah. <clears throat> very well-structured team. And I think one thing they've been really good at is uh, they really push the pace. They really you know, yeah. play up tempo. And that sometimes can get you into penalty trouble sometimes, but they've been excellent. 
Um, now they're going up against a team that was number one on the power play, 24.6% in the regular season. They've only given up nine um, uh, playoff chance or power play chances in those three games. So yep. they're uh, obviously it's actually 3.0 during the regular season. The moves were at 3.81. So almost four. So you've, you've shaved off uh, an entire uh, penalty operator power play opportunity there. And that makes a big difference, right? Like, mm-hmm. um, you know, that's the difference maybe in a one goal game, like the last two games have been. And, you know, I think they got a, a you got a taste of that in the game one getting burned twice yep. uh, on the power play, uh, Milwaukee power play. So like, they were like, all right, we better stay away from this one. You don't, you don't want to, you don't want to test your luck with that Milwaukee power play, especially with that personnel that's come back. I think that also, so we just mentioned how a lot of series are tight. This is one that isn't. According to Instat data, this is about, you know, whether it's scoring chances, shot attempts, like the goals, it's about a 60-40 split for Manitoba. That's a big, big tilt in their favor. And w- with regards to what you said about the penalties, I think that, first of all, this court... Which, which is a rarity at this level. This core has been around for a while. Mm-hmm. Um, and by a while, I mean, yeah, it's two years, but that's a long, that's like five yeah. years in, in the AHL. Yes. So, but they know that they're not going to win games on the power play. They yeah. are going to, they are going to win games by being better even strength. So I think that kind of plays into the lack, like, you know, or the collective discipline rather, um, because, you know, it, it's really telling. They are one of the, the better teams in the league at even strength. Yeah. But on the power play, they don't really have that pop usually. They don't. They, they scored in game three in overtime. That was they they've gone one for ten this series. That was their yeah. that was their first power play goal. So they have to stay out of the box, and they have. So it's credit to them for for staying in it. Well, the best way to uh, prevent things from turning into a special teams battle is just stay out of the box. Don't get into the box in the first place, and then you know there's no chance of well, at least less of a chance of you know those penalties kind of evening out. So yeah, just. Let well enough alone. Um, be careful in terms of like between the whistles and then after the whistle, skate away, right? Like don't don't get engaged in any of that stuff. Oh, that's where teams fall into trouble. That's Mark Morrison, you know, he's like he's like a real low-key personality, like as you well know, speaking with him. Like, but uh yeah, I think he has a good feel for that team, a good kind of like uh, grasp of uh, what makes them work and tick and um He's kind of a low-key, but a, like a really, really solid head coach um, since he came oh, yeah. uh, to the Moose. And like, I don't think that he necessarily maybe gets a lot of the credit. Yeah, I agree. Um, I think that what he, like what he's done with this group, there's two factors to it. One, gives it Craig Heisinger, Zinger, as he wants to be called, and as everyone knows him, a lot of credit. Because with this team, you got the Nick Joneses, the Cole Myers, and the players that are on AHL deals that aren't veterans, yeah. are good players... And they play a very simple north-south grind cycle game. You don't yeah. need to worry about them veering from the plat. And no. you have Jimmy Olaney. You've got a captain like that. Um, he actually just won before he came out. What's the award for um, community service? Uh, the Man of the Year award. Yeah. Yes, he will actually just won that for the league. Yeah. So you've got a really good nucleus there. you got someone like Jeff Malott. Um, you've got players. And then you have a Jansen Harkins coming in, who you know he's been one of the best AHL players, frankly. Um when he's been the AHL this year. So there's a lot of pieces there that you have to give credit to the personnel that we've assembled and, and whatnot. But what Mo does so well, I think, is he knows when to push the buttons. Yeah. And I think he knows, like I was around the team, like I was at practice ahead of game two and it was a very loose vibe. He, you know, yeah, they're down one, nothing, whatever. And the next game could be bad for them, but he was loose. He was chill. You know, he want like, that, and that's what he kind of wants. 
Whereas even when he needs the team to, you know, it's do or die situation, you'll never see him kind of lose it on them in the public sphere. Yeah. Who knows what happens behind closed doors? But he kind of is this sort of new age coach that works really well at the AHL. Whereas yeah. I feel like they, you know, because that's what made him successful at the HL, at the NHL level as an assistant, sorry, was yeah. just his ability to connect with players. And that really helps when you've got a team of personnel where you need them to play a certain way mm-hmm. to be able to make it all click. So it's interesting. I think they'd have, if they win, yeah. they'll surely have their, their hands full of Texas. Yes. We will get to right now. Um, but hey, uh, could be a good first round win for them. So let's get to Texas. Uh, you predicted the sweep. You got it right. Bang on. I gave Rockford too much credit. Don't need to talk about that. It's just on the internet. No one knows about it. Um, any surprises from the series? Like, I think. Are you not a bit surprised, like, that Rockford didn't have a bit more pushback? That's my only surprise, frankly. Not really. Too many moving parts. Like, uh, yeah, you're just, right. uh, you know, it's, it's tough to start, you know, you start moving pieces in and, you know, into the lineup. And um, I didn't love how they, they played down the stretch either. Like, they, you know, Chicago had gone. Yeah, the, the Blackhawks have gone out and kind of gotten them some help. And, like, unlike a Hartford who took off, right? Hartford kind of sputtered and, like, you know, was that, you know, like one step forward, one step back type of thing. And uh, they only managed to squeeze into the playoffs the last day of the season, right? So that was that was my kind of my first sign. And then yeah. even against Iowa, who was kind of similar to them and also having their struggles, they, they swept that series, but I didn't think they looked great in that series, to be honest. Yeah. I think I almost wonder if that management group, when they reevaluate the year, would have would not regret, but kind of wish they did things differently with respect to like Lucas Reichel, for example. Because like in November, it was all about he's not coming up till he's ready. Yeah. He played some great hockey in December and January, but then I kind of feel like they gave it they gave him the cookie too early, and you could have had him down there for a prolonged period. And then when you bring in a Rockhold Grimaldi, you bring in these pieces to help you you had the whole roster intact. I kind of felt like, as you said, too many moving parts throughout the year. That did not help them. But this is where you always help me because I always find myself like, oh, come on. Like, on paper, I kind of see it. And, like, I like Isaac Phillips' game. But, you know, as we just mentioned Manitoba, but, like, teams that have those pieces together for a long time are great. And Texas is another pure example. They don't have Thomas Harley, for example, but you wouldn't even notice it because they've had those pieces of the main nucleus there all year long. Yeah, I I think it's a great example. Like you know, like Lucas Reichel, he only he only had one goal, and that was in the, you know the last night's game. Or you know, he didn't look great. Um, you know, so yeah, I mean, before that, you know, he had you know he had been in the NHL for you know the better part of six weeks, and now you come back and yeah, you, know, you have to jump right into it, and you, you know how it is, right? Like you know that chemistry doesn't always click right away, so. Um, yeah, it's, uh, Texas is kind of the opposite of that, right? Like, you know, like they've been a pretty steady roster for the most part, like by mm-hmm. NHL standards. And, um, they're just such a well-coached, well-structured team too. Like Neil Graham, I, I, again, a lot like a Mark Morrison. I don't think Neil Graham gets ne- nearly enough credit. Mm-hmm. Uh, for what he's done. And I think Harley's a great example. Like the way we've discussed this, the way he, really kind of broke down, took apart Thomas Harley's game. Thomas Harley had like very little defensive um, component to his game. Right. And that's just not going to fly at the NHL level. And like Neil Graham and the staff there um, really, really worked with him. 
um, in terms of like you, you have to have that solid base uh, of your play away from the puck and you're playing your own zone and, and all that. And it, also unlocking how being a strong player defensively can really produce chances for you offensively, like on the transition and totally that sort of thing. So, you know, like and now Harley's in the playoffs. Yeah, playing. exactly. And so like, that's maybe the most well-known example, but like, like Neil Graham does that like really across the board, right? Like, you know, he's, he's just really has a good eye for that sort of thing. And, and then you have a good, strong base of veterans there, right? Like you have like Curtis McKenzie, yeah. who's been a cup winner, the captain there. He's been to two other finals, um, heart and soul player. He's like on an AHL contract. So this is like, this is, this is his Stanley cup. You know, he's fully invested. He's not looking for the next call up. Uh, and just, a, you know, Alex Patrick, like a lot of good solid at this level, high, high end veterans who can kind of calm things down. Not that, or not that Texas really ever faced too much of that against Rockford, but there's going to be a point where you do hit some, you know, choppy waters and you're going to need that. So that's where those vets really come in. And, you know, in terms of being able to just produce, you know, on the ice, but also just, you know, just getting some of these younger players who are going through this for the first time as pros uh, through those rough times. And uh, Texas, I think, you know, we saw, we saw a, a taste of that when they, uh, they saw uh, Coachella Valley four times in March in the span of about two weeks, and uh, they took three out of four wins against the second uh, overall team in the league. Uh, one of them very convincingly, a six-one win, and uh, you know it was it was impressive, right? And, like they they kept their foot on the gas too, like really like right down the whole stretch of the you know the end of the season, even though they. They were pretty much guaranteed to be in the, one of the top two spots in the division. They they didn't let up, so uh, I think they're undercovered. You know, there about Neil Graham. He's a Calgary native, and Calgary does need a new head coach. So keep an eye on that. Can we talk about Matt Murray? And that's not yeah. Matt Murray of of the Toronto beliefs. Let's yeah, call it Matthew right. Murray. Let's go formal here because I don't yeah. know how you're supposed to differentiate that. There's two Jack Hughes's now in the NHL systems. There's two Elias Pettersons. Yeah. It's like in NHL when you're the, the name generator, you got the same name five times. Matthew Murray, uh, you know, a really strong season. His first full season was this year in the in the AHL alumni of UMass Ashurst. Good year with, with with Texas this year. Had a little sniff in, in the NHL, but these playoffs, you know, granted, it's not the craziest workload he's getting, but close to 30 shots a night, got a 929 save percentage. And cer- certainly one of the fastest rising prospects in Dallas' system. He's come up big for them at this time. Yeah, uh, real nice find. Um, not that he was a find per se, but like well, kind know, of, you know. But, well, I mean, he won a national championship at oh, oh, I, well, yeah, okay. But, so like he wasn't an unknown entity, yeah, but yeah. you know, he was undrafted. He was he was he actually spent five years because of the pandemic, five years at the at the college level. Um, so he, he got a, kind of a, a long a long time there to really simmer, and um, came in actually last year on an AHL deal, impressed. Um, got himself a new AHL contract, and then uh, a month into the, not even a month, I should say, into the uh, this season, the NHL deal. So he he was uh, kind of racking up contracts, <laughs> yeah, uh, left and right. He thinks uh, he's doing autographs to the team, but little yeah. knows the contract. <laughs> and uh, exactly, and then so you know, he had pretty solid season, uh, all things considered. What do you think provokes um, a team to sign someone to an NHL deal a couple of weeks? In? Like, do you think that there was maybe whispers or idea of someone could come and snag him? 
I think they just, yeah, they want to get him into the fold. And, you know, he, you want my to point more so is he comes out on AHL deal, a couple of weeks since yeah. he has an NHL deal. What changes? You know, yeah, he's good, but like, I'm curious what would incline. I almost wonder if it was like, okay, wait, this guy's really, really good. We're going to sign him. I think, well, I think one thing was for insurance purposes, like, you know, get Fair. him in, um, you know, because, you know, Hudobin was there and that wasn't probably going to be an option. So, uh, yeah. yeah, like, yeah, just get him in, you know, into your system uh, officially. And uh, he ran with it, right? And, yeah. Now this is a, this is a chance of like now this is a, I think when prospects go from like okay well you know you might have something there you know totally to playoff run is where it can, that can really fault you well so, yeah no that's it. a good point sort of cut you off but speaking of prospects to do that Yuri Kulik that's a prospect that's been doing exactly what you just outlined three points in two playoff games including the game winner in game two against Syracuse. We had uh, Seth Appert on the show. He, he yeah. was explaining how fun, like fantastic. I can't remember the exact word he used, but just how impressed he's by, by Yuri. And here's my kind of thought process. Two things. One, oh my gosh, Buffalo has another stud. And two, I don't think he's that far off from playing at being an NHL regular. Like, I think no. I wouldn't be surprised if he's back with them in the fall with the Americans. Because one thing that I myself am guilty of is recency bias like good playoff runs can be a huge step for guys but it's not the be all end all of them making that leap it could just be a big step so i am guilty of that but i think he's closer than i would have thought even a couple months ago given how he's, he's played he's come a long way defensively which um that was obviously you know the, to be expected he's an 18 year old kid coming in to the pro game um as a first round pick so obviously you knew that the talent was there but it was the pieces were kind of all over the place and it was Seth Appert's job and Mike Pekka's job and the, and the rest of the staff there to kind of start to put those pieces all, you know, into the puzzle. Right. Yeah. And, uh, and I, I really liked how they managed him in general. Like, first of all, number one, bringing him over here at 18. And we've okay. had this discussion a lot. Like they didn't leave him in Europe and have him kind of off in the distance, you know, where he's not working with your people every day. He, like, he was in camp with the Sabres, goes to the Amherst uh, every day. And like Seth Appert is an excellent teacher. Like he came from the U S national development program. Right. So like he's used to working with high end talent. Right. So that's the, the other thing. I like that. They also had him go off to the world junior championship. Totally. Um, kind of break up the season a little bit, you know, and, and get us a sense of like, you know, you know, he had a little bit of pro experience, you know, at the HL level with him, take it to junior, have a good series there, bring it back for the second half uh, to Rochester, continue that. And they, they also didn't bring him up and down. I thought that was good. Um, you don't start getting the player on that, that elevator, you know, where, you know, game up with the Sabres, you know, two games with the average, like it was pretty much, you're going to be in Rochester this year, focus on Rochester. Um, and then it was interesting because like, he was injured for the last game of the regular season, the first two games of the playoffs. And I spoke with Appert, and Appert, he did two things. Number one, he said, we want you in the stands in Syracuse. We want you watching the game, but we don't want you watching as a spectator. So they really had him like key in on some real areas that they wanted him to look at. They also had him watch the Tampa-Toronto series just to get us a, a, a sense of like, all right, that's what the standard is. Like, that's right. when you're playing at some of the highest level hockey you can possibly play. 
watch that. Whatever you see the, the lightning and the Leafs doing, do that. Uh, and then so they, they broke down things. Like, like Seth Appert will have him into his office all the time uh, for video sessions. You know, I remember him mentioning to us, like, the early on there was some uh some language barriers so they you know they brought the google translate, translate. yeah yeah that was you know, awesome. and he would type something in show it to him and check and say does it make sense and then you're like okay like you know so that that's the level of uh effort that they've gone uh with him just like whatever it takes like you know if help him to navigate things in his own language you know especially early while he's still finding his footing. He, he lives on his own too. I think that that was interesting. Yeah. So like they, they really have him kind of like, like challenging himself. And, like, totally. like, and I think to his credit, he's bought into that. Like he hasn't yeah. kind of held back like, and, and you know, he's been, he's had the courage to take on those challenges, right? Like yeah. it's not easy to do at 18 years old. Well, we, okay, when we had Appert on, I remember this so well is that Kalik was producing and was doing well. But the goal scoring, like he he had it, like there was almost another gear that you thought he could have. Mm-hmm. And in the last 30 games of the year, you saw that. And I think the reason for that is all year long, and I said this before, he was generating chances. Yeah. And one of the best in the league this year, according to Instat data. And I'm telling you, man, I said it before, it's one of the biggest trends I'm noticing. Players, young players that can come in and can consistently develop or sorry, create scoring chances. So a shot attempt in the inner slot are the ones that really progress the fastest because yeah. You're not going to score on the perimeter of the NHL. You're going to score on the slot. And continuing to demonstrate an ability to do that will get you looks, will buy you ice time, and so on and so forth. And I think what you're seeing now with Kulik in the second half of the year, now in the playoffs, is, okay, he knows what he knows what to expect. He knows what he's doing. There's learning, sure. But he knows what he's going into every game. And that's why the goals are coming, I think. He's yeah. found different ways to score. And yeah. it's been a great thing for him, honestly. Yeah, you know, if you look at it, right, like, it's a sort of, common sense would tell you that a lot of players can finish far fewer of them can, can actually put themselves into a position to finish by creating. And so the fact that he can do that so early bodes well. So I agree with you. I think I could see him. Yeah. Start. He starts next year in Rochester. I, I, if this unfolds the way I think it would, you know, he goes maybe six weeks or so has a, a really good start, lights things up, maybe a little longer. Makes I see him as a Christmas break call-up guy. Okay, fair enough. <laughs> gets it to the point where Buffalo just can't. Yeah, can't hold off you have anymore. to bring him up. Like you yeah, have totally. to bring him up. Like he's, you know, and, and I think just the way Buffalo's done this the last couple of years, like they did this with Jack Quinn, they did this with uh, JJ Paterka, they're doing this with uh, Isak Rosine, another first rounder. Like they're taking their time. Like they're not pushing these guys with too much too soon. They're not trying to justify okay we're here we have a high pick he's got to be in the nhl right away to justify that pipe no they've been secure enough that like yeah we're gonna put in the nhl we're gonna let him take his time there and and do what he needs to do because the goal isn't to have him come up right now and and play the goal is to have him be there for 10 years 15 years right right that will be kind of what you're judged on as a success not well you know who gets there the fastest one more note before we close off the show, Toronto and Utica. So one series we didn't really touch on at all. Um, 2-1 Toronto lead. It's been an interesting one. You know, there's been some times where I thought Utica was going to just sweep them and, and it was uh, it was over after game one. But uh, yeah, it's been definitely a, a back and forth series and two very different teams, right? Utica, although New Jersey's, sorry, both teams affiliates still in. Toronto and New Jersey are still in the fight. Utica's got some really young talent that's shining. Toronto does as well, but not to the same degree. 
they're kind of out of sync. They don't have Joe Wall anymore. So there's there's a lot of moving parts there, and, and uh, it's kind of a hard series to, to get, grab a gauge on, in my opinion. Yeah, it is. Like so, the first game, you know, who comes out uh, looks like they're going to have uh, you know pretty easy time of it, and uh, you could essentially see the rust was on Toronto, and then but. Uh, Game started to get away from you. Toronto came back, yeah. pull that one out. And you're like, okay, well, that's that's interesting. Game two, Utica comes in and blows them off the ice, and you're like, all right, I think Utica's got this now. That's yeah, and, yeah. And then they go into Utica, where you're thinking, all right, okay, you know, this is going to be a tough, tough place for the Marlies to, to win a game. Um, they got shut out five nothing last time they were there. You know, they come in, they they pull out a win, and now now it's Utica now. That's for the first time this season for them. We'll be facing elimination on Friday night. So um, I'll be interested to see how they handle that. Uh, they haven't really had to face that. Um, they are, they're, they're an interesting team. Like I think if they can get through the series, they're probably maybe the best team still in that North division, mm-hmm. but that's not going to count for much if you don't get through this round. So um, yeah, this uh, between Providence having their trouble, even Hershey's had, a little bit of trouble last night. Uh, you know, you can definitely see like the the path is, is still very uncertain, right? Like, you know, if um, you know if if Yuka stays in, I think that makes things a lot harder for other teams to get through. But uh, it only matters if Yuka can actually make that happen. Agreed on that front. Good stuff, Pat. Uh, where will we be next episode? Lots of unpacking between. We'll be. Done. Well, we'll be just probably getting into that uh, next round. The first round will be done by then. Yes. Uh, yeah. The first round wraps up this weekend. Um, best of five. And then we will be Elite Eight. We're heading to Elite Eight. Now. The, yeah, then, now we're down to the big boys after that. Like, you know, these are the heavyweights, we think. Um, and uh, yeah, it starts to go fast. Like, that's a best of five. Then you get to the best of seven conference final. Then we can break down more more in depth each series, yeah. which will be good too, honestly. Yeah, so we, we've definitely uh, stretched it out. Definitely pair things down a little bit. <laughs> totally, absolutely. All right, good stuff, Pat. Thank you to everyone for listening, and we'll, we'll catch you next week when round two is underway. Thanks for listening, folks. Take care.